Well, good morning. Welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. We are disciples of Jesus that build generational, transformational disciples. My name is Aaron. I am pastor. I'm so grateful that you guys are here today as we complete our series on powerful faith. And even better, we get to talk about what that powerful faith can do for us and what uh, God is calling us to. And we started just a few weeks ago and uh, talked about uh, the life of Abraham, looked at Abraham. What's the difference between faith and faith that actually moves mountains, a powerful kind of faith? And we uh, started there and we discovered that a powerful faith is a faith that has some prerequisites. It starts by listening to God, that God's not going to move the mountains we want to move. He's going to move the mountains He wants to move with us. And so we have to start by listening to His mountains, what He wants, His call. And as we do that, we need to trust Him, just like Abraham trusted Him. And then we've actually got to do something about it. We've got to make sure that we're following. And we discovered after that, the kind of faith that God calls us to is not just a powerful faith in the moment, but for the long haul. How Abraham saw the promise because he stuck with God until he saw the promise kept. Because God keeps His word. There are times we have to wait on the Lord. And God calls us these things. We found out that, that it, like Abraham, that if we want to see God work in our lives with the powerful faith, we have to be patient. We have to wait on God. We can't ask God to do things in our time. We have to trust His timing as much as we trust His power. And as we wait upon the Lord, we've got to depend upon God. We have to make sure that we're not trying to take control over all things in our lives, trying to, to make Him keep His promises. God will keep His promise. He just says, you be faithful. So we've got to be patient and we've got to depend upon Him. And as we do that, recognizing that we're not a perfect kind of people and we're not going to do everything absolutely to, to top perfection. So as we wait upon the Lord over time and we find that we get out of, out of line, we have to be the kind of people that repents, that gets back onto the track where God says, this is what I want you to do. And then not only that, we don't want to just be the kind of people that have that faith that, that allows us to get to the finish line. We want to have a powerful faith that works in our life today. And so we talked about how that faith actually works. That in each day, as we begin with it, we have to begin by, by recognizing that, that God is a God who is in charge. It's, it's His thing. We have to, that we want to follow Him. His kingdom come, His will be done. And so we start by making His agenda our agenda, agenda on each day, each moment as we begin to do that. We have a platform which actually begin to see our faith begin to work. And that a powerful faith in the moment is a faith that learns to love God. Just as God chose our good above His own, that we get to choose Him above ourselves. And as we begin to choose what God wants, we begin to practice that in our life, that we recognize that part of powerful faith always includes sacrifice. God had a lot of faith in you. He sent Himself to this earth to die on the cross for our sins, trusting that we would respond to Him and have you. Yeah. And God calls us to follow Him, to sacrifice ourselves daily, our desires, our wants, our ideas as to the way things we ought to be, to be those living sacrifices each day, a reasonable act of worship, to choose Him above ourselves in the moment. And as we do that, as a powerful faith begins to act that way, God does amazing things. In fact, how amazing? Well, Jesus talks about it in our memory verse for this series. We get to it, Matthew 17, those awesome words of Jesus, where it says Jesus was talking about why these, these apostles weren't able to cast out the demons, right? And then Jesus says to them, you know, he cast out the demons later on. He said, it's, uh, some things have to come out with fair, uh, prayer and fasting. That there are some things that we just have to depend upon God in. We have to partner with him. But in that context, this is what Jesus says, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Isn't that a powerful, amazing, encouraging verse? That when God calls us to something, it is only possible because of Him, but it's absolutely, absolutely possible because of Him. And what God is calling us to today, we're going to go through what, what He's called us to is an amazing big vision, a big dream. But we're going to get to see mountains move, these mountains move. Before we do that, let's just remind ourselves of this incredible passage a few times. And then if this is your first time with us to, to go through it, don't worry about it. Just uh, say it along with us a few times and let God's word speak to your heart. Here we go. Three, two, one. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Matthew 17. 
15, 20. Oh, it's so fun again. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Matthew 17, 20. One last time to test ourselves. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Matthew 17, 20. It is so important that we get this, that my faith doesn't move mountains. God moves mountains, but God asks us to partner with him and we don't have to do much. He says, faith the size of a mustard seed. And we find in the word that faith that is alive, you're going to see it's got to be alive, right? That's how it grows. It's how it actually, if a dead seed is like dirt, right? That's pretty much what it is. But the living seed, a seed that actually does something, faith is what he asked for. It's not how much faith, it's how little is necessary. The tiniest, the smallest amount is all that's necessary, right? Well, faith to be alive needs to be faithful. It's just faith in action. And just to be a little faithful. It's all God is asking. If we are just a little faithful, if we're just enough, God moves mountains. And not just mountains out there, but mountains here, now. That's why he says, truly, I tell you. That's the promise. If you have your Bibles, let's open it up to where we got the beginning of that promise. We get to see how Abraham did when he got a vision, when he got a promise from God. Then we'll talk about what God's given us and how we can respond. Because they're very similar. So in Genesis chapter 12, is where we began, verse 1, we read here, it says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. He got the call. God gave him the vision. God said, this is what I want for you to do. And do you notice in that call, it starts with the sacrifice. It wasn't Abram, hey, Abram, uh, just trust me. I'm going to do these great things for you. You just sit there and know that I'm God. Said, Abram, I want you to sacrifice all of the comforts, your dreams, your plans for your life. Because Abram was like 70 years old. He was ready to enjoy his retirement. Abram's plan and God's plan were totally different. But remember, powerful faith starts with sacrifice. It requires sacrifice. And so it's not that God wasn't shy about this. He said, Abram, if you want to have this, it's going to cost you something. Now, could have God done all of these things without requiring anything from Abram? Absolutely. He's God. God could have just miraculously poofed Abram into the promised land. Or even easier, God could have just picked some guy that was in the promised land and said, Hey, you, this is your land. Look around. Isn't it great? Yes, I'm going to prosper you. He could have done that. But God required something of Abram. He says, this is going to have to cost you. And it's not because God is mean. He wants us to know that it's not just us. That God is doing something powerful and he wants to partner with us in it. He gives us the dignity of this. Isn't that fantastic? Now, Abram had to give up a few things, a couple small comforts. But look at the promise, what God calls him to. He doesn't just say, Abram, I want you to sacrifice. He gives him a reason. He says, do this. And he says, and I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. So yeah, give up the things that you have control over, and that your life, and your plans, and your desires, and your way, give that up. And follow me to something I have for you. And it's a little better. I tell you the truth, if Abram heard this call but did not respond, we wouldn't know who he was. Right? If Abram heard the call, he had faith the size of a mustard seed, but he had no faithfulness the size of a mustard seed. He would have stuck there in his land. No one would be naming their kids Abe today. But Abram heard the call, and he said, you know what? This is worth it. You're asking me to leave all these things. You're asking me to walk away from comfort in God. But he says, you know what you're calling me to is fantastic. It is worthy. And so Abram took the first steps to the promised land by taking his steps home and explaining to his wife why things were going to change, which was not easy, and selling off the property that I'm sure he worked hard for, and changing all, doing all those little tasks, packing up, getting ready to go. Abraham began 
because he received the call and it was worthy. And so look how at verse 4, we know exactly how Abraham responded when God said, I want you to make the sacrifice for this call. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. It wasn't even the next like, paragraph. It wasn't Abraham says, well, I got to go home and think about it. Well, I got to make sure. It's a pretty big thing, God. I got a lot of people counting on me. This is a big change. Says, next sentence, Abraham went as the Lord had told him. The faithfulness, the size of a mustard seed. Abraham know where he was going? No clue. No clue. He just knew that God was going to lead him. And so he went. You know, God has been giving his people a call for a long time. Right? He, he has purpose for us. We read that in Scripture, that you are not here today by accident, that God knew your name before the beginning of the earth, which is pretty phenomenal. And he knew that you were going to be here, and he knew that you have a you have a reason for being here. He gifted you perfectly for what he's called you to do. He's prepared you for it, just like Abram. And he's called us as a church to do something. In fact, 25 years ago, there was a group of people that started praying for this church. And they met together and they prayed that a church would, our church would begin to exist. And as they prayed about it and things like this, that together they came and they said, you know, this is our mission. This is what God has called us to, to be. This is not just a mission statement. It's really kind of like, uh, it, it's, our, it's our bio. It's who we are. And basically what it says is the Christian Church of Festus Park that's a, is a fellowship of believers with a great commitment to the great commandments of the Great Commission. And then we, we distilled that down because that's a big, there's a lot of theology and a lot of teaching there. So we distilled it down to four main things that we would be focused on. To know God's love, to grow in God's love, to love God and others, and to go and share God's love. That's us. That's who we are. So just like God called Abraham, God called the Christian church of Estes Park, right? He called us. He called this. And so as we go, we don't stop being us. Abraham didn't stop being Abraham. He grew. But God has called us. And in that this, you'll see that fi- primarily, we are a fellowship of believers. At its very core, if you distill it down to who we are, We're a fellowship of believers. We're not an institution. We're not an organization. We're not just a 501c3. We're not a nonprofit. We are a fellowship. That's who we are. That means relationship. This is not just a club that you join. This is a family that you are part of. Right? And we're not just a club. We're not just like, we're not just a group. We are a fellowship, and we fellowship based upon something. We have something profound and wonderful that we have in common, and that we are a fellowship of believers. At our very core, we are people of faith. We trust God. And what do we trust God for? What do we believe in? Well, we believe that we are saved by God's grace through our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. That's who we are. That's what we believe. And based upon that, that understanding that we are all people of needing of grace, and have received grace, and a new life in Christ, and are trusting God together, this is where our fellowship begins. And as we continue to grow, and as we continue to go, what God has called us to, we must never lose this, that we must stay a family, a fellowship. And this is a family that because we are a fellowship of believers, you'll see that there's some things that we're committed to, deeply committed to. The first one is we're committed to the great commandments. And the great commandments we find in Matthew 22, Jesus uh, was, was asked by a lawyer, right? And he says, what's the most important of all the commandments? And right now, if you're doing the Bible with us, you, we're finishing up what, um, Exodus today? Yay. Then we get to, yeah, or yesterday. So we get, am I behind? I'm behind. We finished it yesterday. I'm a day behind. But we're finishing it up. And there was a lot of rules, and now there are going to be a lot more rules. Like for the next month, there are going to be a lot of rules. And out of all those rules was asked, what, uh, what's the most important? And Jesus distills it down to this. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And then he gave a, a bonus. He said, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. This for all of the law and all of the writings of the prophets rest on those two commands. And because Jesus said that this is kind of the, 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 
the point of all of the law, everything that God wants from us is to love him and love other people, we would say, if that's really what God wants, shouldn't we be committed to that? Yeah, which is why, and as we distill down what this means, those four major points, you'll see a word that's there four times. That we know God's love, that we grow in God's love, we love God and others, and we go and share God's love. Love is essential to us. And what is love? Talked about that last week. Love is choosing another's good above your own. We love because God first loved us and sent His Son as atoning sacrifice for our sins. God chose us above Himself, and now He invites us to live lives of love, selfless lives, which is why the opposite of love has never been hatred. The opposite of love is selfishness. And God invites us out of the center of our lives, which is why worship is so important. We take a step back from being our own little gods, and we let Him be God. We get to live this greater life, which is an amazing thing. And so we start with knowing God's love ourselves, not the Western idea of the intellectual law. I know God is a loving God, but the biblical understanding of knowing. That deep, intimate experience of God's love. We start there. It would be a travesty for anyone to come to our church for any period of time. And to miss out on experiencing God's love for yourself. To have it where God chose you even while you were still a sinner. Even while you were still his enemy. Even while you didn't believe, God chose you. And he called you. And he loves you. He sent his own son to die for you. So that you could have life. And as you followed him and you expressed that faith in him and belief and confession and repentance and baptism... He doesn't just save you, He now fills you. And think about, for those of us going through the Word, and we're reading it right now, the absolute power, how amazing it is that God now treats you like a temple. How holy and amazing that you are. His incredible power and goodness dwelling within you. God wants you to know how much He loves you. Not from a distance saying, I'm going to take care of you, but I'm going to live life with you. I'm going to be with you through the most difficult things, and I'm going to carry you through them. And in fact, all of the things that you suffer through in this life, I'm working them together so ultimately they will be for your good. God loves you so much that He says, I will never leave you nor abandon you. Even when we are faithless, He is faithful. God is a loving, good God. We have to start there. To know God's love profoundly and personally is how we start. But we don't stop there. We want to grow in God's love. I have one of the coolest kids in the entire world. He is. He is the greatest, second greatest. Jesus, I think, tops him. But other than that, great kid. But how I love him and how he experiences love is very different now than when he was a toddler or when he was an infant. Can you imagine how ridiculous it would be if we loved him the same and he loved us the same way he was when he was tiny? If it was always like, coochie, coochie, he's a teenager now. That'd be weird. He would be miserable if we were all, he'd feel smothered, wouldn't he? It is the same way that as you are here in this fellowship, we want you to know God's love but to grow in it. When you are a brand new believer, there is this air of just God's presence and His grace and His goodness that's there. That's awesome. And it never leaves. But He calls us out of just the comfort. He calls us into the experience and into the adventure alongside Him. Into the risk and into the joy of what He has before us. We want you to grow in His love. Not to just show up every single Sunday and be stagnated in your faith. And to stay a perpetual infant spiritually. No! We want you to grow! To get to, to be able to, to have this point of maturity in your faith where you grow strong and powerful in the Lord. That God's able to give you hard tasks and does them with you where you see the majesty and the magnificence of the Lord in your life. And you can grow in that. And you can grow more and more selfless, more and more like Christ. This should be your experience. And as we do this, we want to make sure that as we grow in God's love that we learn to love God fully, with our whole heart and our mind and our spirit and our strength. We invite you into that. Put God at the center of your life. Because let's be real, none of us do a very good job and we're at the center of our own lives. Self-centered living just leads to destruction. 
But God says, no, I want you to learn to love me. Choose me above you. Be that living sacrifice. Not because God wants you to die, but because you were already dead. That's a dead way of living. He's inviting you to actually live. It's like when I have two people come to my office for marriage counseling and they're being selfish. That person's not meeting my needs. Well, she's not meeting my needs either. You're both dead. Your relationship's dead. You're both miserable in it. But when we teach them to love and to seek the other's good above themselves, when they stop being so concerned about my own needs, God's got you. And start saying, you know what? I'm going to care for you. I want to lay my life down for you. It's amazing how not just the relationship comes to life, but they start to actually live themselves. Well, Jesus says it doesn't make sense to the rest of the world. That when you try to take your own life and keep it and do everything about you, you end up dying. But if you lay down your life for him, you find real living. That's to love God. But not just to have it just this two-way street. Jesus is so cool. He said, how dare you say that you love God whom you've never seen if you can't at least care for the people around you who are his image, who God loves? John says that later on too. He says, it's audacious for us to claim that we love God if we don't love each other. If you really love God, you're going to love his people, even the annoying ones. Do you have, uh, you know, friends or, I don't know, relatives that have annoying kids? Right? I think all of us know some people that annoy us. But if you love that friend, are you going to be nice to their kid? Or how about their dogs or cats even, right? You go to somebody's house and they got an annoying pet, you don't kick the dog, even if it is annoying. If you care about them, you're going to be nice even to their pets. How much more, if we say we love God, are we going to be kind to his people? See, we're supposed to, as a congregation to grow in God's love, and that love is demonstrated not just in our commitment to him, but in our expression of love and charity and, and kindness towards one another. First in this room, but also into the community. That's who we are. And that's why it says that we want to go and share God's love. That was the call, wasn't it? Not to make disciples by taking anybody who is interested and who came, but to go to all nations and make disciples. And when it says all nations, it's just not talking about governments. It's all the different kinds of people, all the ethnos, every kind of human. We want to be able to go into this community to every kind of human, and we're all a little different, which means to read all, all the peoples, we must reach all the people. And we want to share God's love, not just our love, not just a love that says, well, this is our church and this is how much we can do, but say God loves us infinitely and he cares about us, he meets our deepest needs, and he sent us to you to show you he loves you as well. So we don't love the community when we feel like we should love the community. We don't love the community and those around us when it makes sense to us. We love the community because God loves this world and has called us to be his agents, his representatives, to go and to serve those around us, first in this room and in this congregation, and then to the whole community to show his love, to choose them above ourselves. This is who we are. And as who we are. We are a people, right, that we have a great commission that we are called to, right? We're committed to that. God said, you're my disciples. You're going to grow in me and all this stuff. I've got work for you to do. He says, I want you to go all those people. I want you to bring them the faith. I want you to help them grow up in faith. And so we want them to know God's love and to grow in it. And then we also want to go and share God's love. We are committed to those things, so it's not just that we have an identity, but we have a culture here in this church. I don't know if you've ever noticed it. You ever feel pushed a little bit, maybe to, to do a little bit more, next steps? Anybody ever get tired of those? Well, I hope not. Well, I hope you get a little tired. It means I'm not pushing hard enough if you're like, oh, this is fine, right? I want you to grow, to go, that the kingdom of God can develop amongst us. Yes, to always be perpetually one step out of our comfort zone. One step closer to the Lord. One step closer to a world that needs Him. And so as a church, when we, when we look at all of this, you hear me say this a lot. 
we consolidate that down, what we're saying is we're disciples of Jesus that build disciples of Jesus. That's who we are. A disciple is somebody who follows another person. Not just physically walking around, but starts to adapt their characters, believing their teachings, putting them in practice. Isn't that what we want to do? Jesus didn't come to this earth and then find his disciples and say, okay, can I follow you? Matthew, you're doing a great job collecting money for for Rome. Can I follow you? John, man, you're such a great fisherman. Can I get on that boat and just follow you while you do this? That's not how Jesus' call is. He says, hey, Matthew, with your lush, comfy job and your plan for your life, follow me. I've got something better for you. Hey, Peter, you with your great small business, it's doing all those wonderful things. You were a fisher of fish. Let me make you a fisher of men. Come follow me. See, in this church, we want to follow Jesus, not Aaron's way, not your way, but God's way. We want to follow Christ. We want to actually begin to adopt his lifestyle, his call, his way. Every single day to be disciples, but not just ourselves, to help others grow in that as well. And so the focus of our church is unabashedly, unashamedly, discipleship. Why? The Great Commission, Great Commandment. How do we learn to love God? Well, Jesus showed us how to love God. And so we, we learned to follow him. He knew how to love God the Father. And so he teaches us that. But not just how to love God, how to love each other. And we primarily get to do that, well, by becoming disciples that make disciples, by being faithful. And so we have outreach is how it begins right? We go to this community and we bring people to Jesus. Why last week, like 27 people baptized. That's amazing. And we teach them. We don't just make converts. Converts don't do much. It's like just having a bunch of babies and letting them stay perpetually as children, as infants. That would make anybody mad. We want them to grow up in faith, to go more mature, to see God work more powerfully in their life, to teach them how to obey Jesus in all things, like he said. And then replication, Once you grow, we want you to be fruitful and multiply. And so this is our mission, and this has been the culture of our church. But you know what? It's not just our church. Isn't this the mission of every church? I mean, aren't all churches supposed to be disciples of Jesus that are building disciples of Jesus? Isn't that what every church is supposed to be? I mean, any church that's just making people a follower of the denomination or a follower of a charismatic person is not really a very faithful or effective church. Even if I was the greatest of all pastors in the entire world, I might be close. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) I got a long way to grow. But even if I was, I am not Jesus. I don't want you to be like me. Trust me, I'm trying to change. God is changing me still. I only want you to follow me if you're following me because I'm following Jesus, right? So every church in the entire world are disciples of Jesus that build disciples of Jesus. So then what about us? That was really the question that we asked as pastors. And remember that this came about after two years of God putting a conviction on my heart, how I changed for us. Remember two years ago, I would, as I pray for each of you every week, I would be praying and I was like, God, show us what we can do. Right? Show us what we can do. And I prayed that for each of you too. God, show them what they can do. Right? So that way we will at least know and we can be faithful. And then I was under conviction that God doesn't want us to have our plans or to say we're limited to only what we can do. God has invited us into a partnership, which means that he's doing some of the work. And, and actually, he has a lot more horsepower than any one of us, so he's going to do a lot more than any one of us can do. So I started praying this, God, show us what you will have for us. Show us what you want from us. And I started praying that for each of you as well. And after two years of that, that's a dangerous prayer. And then we had the pastors got together, we fasted, we prayed, we said, what does God have for us? How are we going to be disciples that build disciples in Estes? What does God want for this church? He showed us something that requires him. And it's not that we want to just be disciples, we want to be transformational disciples. Right? We want to be not just a church, we want to be a church in the community. Right? We're part of this community and God brought us here for a reason. Not just to be, to be one uh, more organization in the workings of Estes Park. He called us to be salt and light, didn't he? A city on a hill. Everybody enjoys the light. We're supposed to be out there making a difference. Like if, if the Christian church of Estes Park ceased to exist, we would want the community to feel a very felt need uh, that was now broken. That we would want them to feel some pain. It would be like, oh no. 
I would say right now, to be honest, if we just, you know, locked up or whatever, I think for, we might just get a, huh, why? Well, we're making disciples that make disciples, but I don't think our congregation is transforming the world that we're in. But can God transform the world that we're in? Absolutely. Think about the homes in our community or the government or the, or the, or the, the, the businesses in our community or the schools. Shouldn't the church make a difference? Shouldn't this world be a little different? Not just because of you and me, but because God himself is amongst us. I mean, if God was removed from the community, would you want the community to be like, wow, we miss him? Yeah. You think God is big enough to be missed? Yeah. Which is why we don't just feel to be in the, feel called to be in the community. We want to transform this community. In order to do that, we look at our community. We, we saw what is a constant amongst every, every area in a community. In every single home and school and government buildings and offices and all that kind of stuff, right? Every single one of those things are just organizations of people. It's people being organized in different ways. If we want to change our culture, we need to change the person, right? As people are changed, the world is changed. And so we want to start there with the person. And we find that God, in the very beginning, He created us in the context of family, right? Garden of Eden, God made Adam, and they made Eve. And that's when they got their call, be fruitful and multiply. Adam couldn't do it by himself. Eve couldn't do it by herself. And it says from the very beginning, the very first thing that God made humans in was in a relationship with him, and then right after that, in relationship with each other, in family. I think that's pretty fantastic. Our world has no idea what family is, but God does. And I think that if we want to be able to help serve the person and transform the person, we need to be focused on that very first thing, helping the family. So we want to transform this community. We, we have a vision that God will use this congregation to be such an integral part of the community. Not only will the city uh, leaders say, we don't want you, but they will be begging us to be there. Wouldn't that be a work of God? Yeah, that'd be a miracle. Kind of like moving a mountain, but I don't think it's impossible. But we also want to say, we don't want to just change one generation, right? We want this to surface level. We want to be transformational by generationally changing the community. One thing that we've had at headwinds at our church, frustrating me for a long time until I saw the beauty in it, is that we have a lot of turnover. Estes Park is a place that people move into and then the wind blows them away, right? <laughs> they come here and they're like, yay, and they're like, woo, we're gone. Which is why we can baptize 27 people and then continue like not really growing. Why? Because we get a lot of new people. The last two years, we've had over 60% of our congregation move out of our community, which means we have to bring a lot of new fresh people in here. Now, that's more than normal, right? Most years, it's about 14%. But the thing is, if say we bring people to faith in the schools, right? We, we bring, teach, bring some teachers to the Lord. We encourage them. They're growing up, all that kind of stuff. They're, they're, they're being built as disciples. They're making a difference for Christ in the schools. But then they move. And then the church loses its influence and opportunity in ministry in the schools. And we'll do the same thing in different businesses and government and things like this in the community. What we want to do is to have a stable ability to continue to transform this community that's not just based upon one person, right? To be able to, to have an impact that lasts, right? That God says, well, I want you to, to, have, to be able to not just be that first generation of Christian, and once you leave, then your impact is gone, but to have deep penetration of the gospel. And so that starts, obviously, like in businesses and the school, to be able to serve in such a way that we're not just penetrating into one person's life at a time, but we're teaching them how to connect to the organization itself, the very heart of it. But then also, we would say not just one person, but an entire home and generations after to know the Lord. Not just to teach you to come to Jesus, but how do you influence your kids and your grandkids and those who come after you as well to transform our society in a very deep and profound and lasting way. Being disciples of Jesus to build generational, transformational disciples of Jesus. This is what we feel called to. And I think it's kind of like uh, being called to a land I will show you and I'll make you a blessing to those who bless you. I'll make you a blessing to everybody. That's a pretty good thing, right? But what does that look like? I mean, in real practical levels, what would that look like in our community? Let's talk about some needs. In order to put this into practice, 
Well, I think there's the first thing we need to do as a church to be able to do that is we have to engage our whole community. How can we transform the community if we're not engaged with them, right? That means saturating this community, and it's not very big. It's like 6,500 people, right? To get to know them and to saturate, to be able to engage every person here, then to effectively serve them. And that's why sacrifice is important. Is that we don't want the community to come and serve us. We want to be able to serve them. In this community, you know what make a difference for, for our teachers? Not to have a church on the outside telling them, you should do this and you should do that. It would be actually Christians in the school serving and helping the teachers. And, 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 and the, I mean, all kinds of different ways in the, in the school. We can take burdens off of their shoulders so they could do their work better. So it would be a joy. Not just to go to the city government as a church and say, this is what you ought to do, but to be in the community fixing a lot of the needs so that they can actually work on more important things. To serve the community effectively where the needs are. We also, I think, we need to do is focus on families because it's not just that people are hurting. Our families are destroyed and families are the very first place that God has given us. And you know what? If you're part of a, a very difficult, broken family, welcome to the crowd, right? There is so little understanding what family is. Like it's been destroyed for, for about three generations now. I mean, look how the enemy did it. First thing he did is he destroyed the marriage and after he destroyed the marriage, then he destroyed the parent and child relationship. And in that, he destroyed the grandparent and, and parent and grandchild relationship and isolated us all. And then once he did that, he destroyed us as even our gender. Like, we don't even know like, what does it mean to be a man or a woman. or like, like, he destroyed us even at that core level that we've been made in God's image in. We are a devastated people. If we really want to be able to serve this community, we have to do this hard work. And it is not popular. I tell you, almost every time I talk about family, I get hate mail. Sometimes I even get death threats by just talking about it. That's crazy. But it's because our world doesn't know what family is, what people are. It's been so under assault that if we want to be able to, to reach this community, we need to start serving people right at their very core. Right? To be able to help us know who we are in Christ, who they are in Christ, to see what their value is, and then what in that, how we can work together, how we have those healthy homes to build that next generation, be able to transform the workplaces and the schools and the businesses and all these places these, these people from these families will grow in. Why not start? Why not us? And I would say this, we want to grow faithfulness and our congregation it's got to be a both-and thing. I don't want to be a seeker-sensitive church. I think that's silly. I want to be a Christ-sensitive church. I want to be a kind of church that says, hey, join us as we follow Jesus. And there's a place for you to be born and to be a child and to grow up in faith, right? But I want us to all grow in faith. I don't want you to be next year, right now, uh, you know, a year from now, exactly where you are in the Lord. I want you to be more mature, <laughs> I want us to grow more and more Christ, more and more selfless, more and more trusting in Him, more and more faithful. But as we grow in faithfulness, we also want to grow the size of the church. We don't want to be a holy huddle. That's ridiculous. What family ever was like, okay, you are my perfect match. Marry me. And the woman says, yes, you are my perfect match. Let's marry. Let's not have anybody else. We're perfectly wonderful and we'll grow mature together. And then they grow mature together, and then they die off. Does that sound like any churches you know? We want to be a family. We want to, to go out there, be fruitful, and multiply. <laughs> there are a lot of people in Estes Park that need to know the gospel, that need to experience the love of God for themselves. Not just hear it, experience it. And who better to show them than those of us who have experienced it ourselves? We want this congregation to grow. And as it grows, to empower those who come in to be able to also begin to grow in sharing the gospel as well. And not just the words of the gospel, but the love of God. So we need to do this. Other things that, that need to happen, let's get even more specific. We need to relocate closer to downtown. Why? Nobody likes coming here. Well, you guys do. I love that. Thank you. But it's scary. Our turn into this building is scary. And I know that there are some people that they just can't get past that. It's scary. It really is turning, especially in the summertime. But beyond that, we are on the other side of this massive hill that for most people in Estes, it's like a whole different world over the hill. I mean, we might as well be in Kansas. When I tell them where we are, they're like, oh, you're, you're out there? 
I'm like, yeah, it's three miles. And if you're in a car, it feels the exact same. Now, I mean, if you're riding your bike, I can understand why you wouldn't want to be here. But come on. But because of where we are, I mean, even the other pastors, like, we'll say, hey, let's do something. Let's pray together or whatever. I'm like, hey, we can use our building. They're like, well, that's too far out of town. I'm like, we are equal distant out of town as Rocky is. But psychologically, there is a barrier. But also, there are a lot of folks in our community who don't have access to cars. And you know what? This is a beautiful building. It's an amazing building. It's been in this property. It's been such a gift. We have no debt on it through, through 20 years, 25 years of good financial stewardship, right? We don't have any debt, which has freed us up to do all kinds of really cool ministry and great things that are here. It's awesome. And so... But the building in itself can't be a sacred cow. It is a tool for ministry. And if what God is calling us to is not something that this particular tool is is worthy for, then we need to find something different. And so we did. We looked as a congregation. We said, how how could we move downtown? And it'd be impossible. There is no place for us. The town doesn't want us. And and even if there was a place, we don't have the money. It takes $2 million. We've been in a church for about 25 years. This building and all of our assets are about a million dollars, which is great for a small church. We've been very, very careful to be good stewards. We take it to heart. But 25 years, million dollars, to be in town would cost at least two million. This seems like an impossibility, does it? Oh, but the faith the size of a mustard seed moves mountain. So we know that God's calling us there to do what he's asked us to do. We have to say, okay, how is he going to do it? But also I say not just to be in town, but we would have the right kind of tool there as well. Wouldn't it be silly to be in town but be in a little strip mall where we weren't able to actually reach people and meet their needs? Wouldn't that be a very self-centered, kind of selfish thing to do? If God's called us there, one of the things that we'll see is that we will have the facility to match the ministry, the tool to do the work. So we need to pray for that. Because right now, it is an absolute impossibility, right? It is a mountain. But if I remember right, God is in the business of moving mountains. It's not really a big thing for him. So he says, faith the size of a mustard seed which is just faithfulness the size of a mustard seed. And we want God to move this mountain for us. Another thing that we need to do specifically in this is we want to develop a family ministry center. That does not have to be a center, but some idea, a holistic family ministry that's able to help lift families up. Understanding that our culture not only doesn't know what a biblical family is, is inoculated against a biblical family. There are so many uh, misconceptions and straw men that are put up. Like if I even talk about saying, a husband, you're supposed to lead your family in a way that Christ leads the church. Lay yourself down for her, care for her, right? You're supposed to love your family and lead it that way. People will say, well, you're just a chauvinist. Because all they hear is lead. And like, that's a bad thing. Or if I say, ladies, it's okay to be feminine. Like God made you, that's part of God's image. To be nurturing and to be kind. Right? To have that, that civility that you bring into uh, impurity, that, that's part of that, that feminine structure that reflects God's image. I am told that, that I am somehow, that's anti-woman. I don't, how could you be anti-woman if you're pro-feminine? It's so crazy. But that's the way our world is. But I'll tell you what, the truth is, is that God made you the way he made you. And, and men, you are not toxic because you're masculine. You bear God's image. It's how you use it that matters. We want to be able to teach young men and old men in our community what biblical masculinity looks like, that protective, providing kind of love, that directional kind of of masculinity that our culture and our world needs, and to teach women and young women and old women the value and the beauty and the necessity of true godly femininity. What does it look like? How does it practice? To start from gender. But then to grow into in that how God made us to look at the rules or the, the, the responsibilities he's given us, our roles in life, in family, in marriage, in church. We need to, the world's not going to get this. But I'll tell you what, the world is tearing people apart. God's given us who we are. We need to teach that. But we have to develop this. How are we going to do that? And I think it starts with us Here. And God is really going to stretch all of us as we do that. Uh, next thing is, too, is to, to meet the immediate felt needs of the community. Why? Well, look at Jesus. How did he make disciples? Well, he went to them, but he didn't just go to them. Like, Jesus' mission was not to give people full bellies and healthy bodies. That's not why he came to this earth, right? He came for a much bigger purpose, that we could live eternally. We're going to get brand new bodies anyhow. But it doesn't mean that Jesus didn't spend a, most, a great part of his ministry. What was he doing? giving people full bellies and healthy bodies. (laughs) He was meeting the felt needs in order to show them that God truly loves them. They could experience God's love in their life 
so they could trust him with the deeper things. And we need to be the same. There are a lot of felt needs in this community that are caused by sin, right? Like our community has an addiction epidemic, huge. Is the church able to address that? Yeah. I mean, think about it. Has there ever been a better group of people to address that than people who follow a God who can transform us from the inside out, who sets us free? I mean, our, everything that we stand upon is, is, would be able to address that perfectly and offer unconditional love and support, and, right? As well as we can provide good uh, boundaries that God has shown us, right? In the Word, we are perfectly positioned for that. So we ought to do that. How about, do you know about there's a huge felt in our community by young parents? They can't live in Estes because it's too expensive to have children. Like in order to live in Estes, most people have to have two different careers. Both, both partners have to have a career. And do you know that if you have more than two children, or, right, or you have up to more than one child, you have two children above, that the second person, usually the wife, that 70% of her income goes to nothing but child care? That's a cruel system. Can the church address that? Yeah. I mean, the church is pretty pro-kid, right? We absolutely can help with this. So, is it our main mission? No, but does it give us opportunity to love? You imagine the doors that would be open to us if, if the church just found, like, I don't know, I'm just going to spitball here. What if the church went and paid for all of the school lunches for every kid that has a single parent? Do you think that would open doors, the gospel in the schools? Do you think we could do that? Yeah. You know, we have to be able to be able to be in the community, making a difference, transforming the community by meeting felt needs. But that's going to require something from us. It's going to require something from God, too, because there's a lot more resources than we have right now, but not more than He will give us if we're faithful. I would say this we want to engage our community organizations through generosity and acts of service, then. That's what we're called to. Not to be a church that asks from the community, give us these things, do these things for us, to be a church in the community that says, what are your needs? And then we meet them in the name of Christ. That's what we're called to do. And therefore, I think another thought we have to do is we have to think outside of ourselves. Do you know as a football coach, and over half of my players speak Spanish. I don't even know what they're saying. They know what I'm saying, but, but I can't talk to their parents or things like this. But if you look around our congregation and every congregation, and yes, even the Catholic church, there's not even 2% of the church in Estes Park is Hispanic that, that speaks Spanish. There's a lot of people that need to know the Lord. And you know what? We as a church have a heart for this. We've tried all kinds of Hispanic outreaches. We've even paid for churches to be started in Estes Park with Spanish-speaking churches. And they never work. And I got so mad about that. I talked to God. Oh. And then we did that series on Galatians, and God brought great conviction to me. Because here you have, and the churches in that region of Galatia, they had two different people groups, different languages, different cultures, so they didn't really trust each other, Right? And where in Galatians do you find God or Paul telling the Galatians, hey, you Jewish Galatian guys, why don't you do a Gentile outreach? Start a Gentile church. Do you see that in there? Now, he said, bring them in. And we're all going to have to adapt a little bit. We don't stop being who we are, but we center on Jesus being our identity, a fellowship of believers. And that, did it have problems? undeniably. It was difficult. But what it was what the church was called to do? Absolutely. And what did God do with the Galatian churches? Well, they became basically the standard bearer for Christianity after Rome sacked uh, Jerusalem. I mean, God worked profoundly in those churches. I think God's calling us to a much bigger vision. I don't even know how this is going to happen, right? If you say, this is one of those lands where he's going to show you. But I'll tell you what our leaders are doing right now is taking one small step. All the pastors were learning Spanish this year. It's probably going to take me 20 years because, you know, yo no hablo espanol. Not good at all. Like, I've been taking it for two months now, and I can barely order a burrito, right? But how are we supposed to care for people that we can't even talk to? So they're the leaders. That's what we're doing. You could pray for us on that, but I think this is part of the thing, saturating the community. So how does all this happen? Well, specifically, I think it happens by, by worshiping God through our times, our talents, and our, and our treasure, right? This happens like, um, and then as we do that, we'll increase our congregation and our outreach through evangelism, and we want to help people come to our church, but not just come to the church, become part of the church. 
And so why is the time, talent, treasure, why is that important? Well, last September, I shared this vision with you all. And this is what happened. Is people said, that's a great vision. How's it going to happen? And I said, I don't know. But you know what? God called Abraham, and the people had to follow Abraham, didn't they? So Abraham had at some point say, okay, we're going to go north, <laughs> right? He had to say, we're going to pack up these things. We're going to keep these things. We're going to do that. We had to go. Somebody had to have a plan. So you asked me, and so I was like, where's the plan? And so I looked at the plan, and I said, God, I don't know. I tried all kinds of things. I asked all these different pastors on coaching networks, all that kind of stuff, and I would ask them, i said, what do we do? And they said, they said, don't do that. This is a stupid plan. You can't do this. Your church is not capable of doing this. I said, precisely, but what about God? Can he do that? And they said, fine, if you're going to do this, this is what you need to do. You need to sell your building, take out a huge loan, buy something downtown, and hope people come. And then you'll spend 80% of what comes in on a building. That doesn't sound good to me at all. Plus, if God gave us a building downtown right now, we wouldn't be the right people to fill it anyhow. So I was at a loss. I didn't know what to do. So I was talking to God, and I was driving up to church about a month ago because I knew that I was going to have to share a plan at some point. And uh, it's coming up over the hill, coming to the church. I got outside of, outside of Estes, right? So I crossed into Kansas. I went over the hill. And as I crossed over the hill, God, I felt this. It was just like, you know, God doesn't want a church. God doesn't want an organization. God doesn't want a building. God wants worshipers. Well, isn't it cool that just for the last, I don't know, entire year, we focused on what? Worship. And God teaches us how to worship him in very practical ways, time, talent, treasure, how we center our lives on him in that way and how in the word he calls us to that. I was like, oh, and the light bulbs came on. I came to the church and I was like, Chris, I'm not, canceled my appointments, right? Took out my board, started putting the plan. Day. What would happen if, if we look at our worshiping, our time, our talent, our treasure? Could God bring us to this new land? It's amazing. I'm going to show you exactly how we do it. There are five commitments that, are, that talk about worship. Five things I'm going to challenge us all to do. If we do these things, and they are not big, they are mustard seed faithfulness. They are tiny things. You'll be shocked, but I'll show you the power of it when we get there. Five things to, to walk to our, our vision. The first thing that we need to do is we need to pray. We absolutely need to pray. This is worshiping God with our time, isn't it? We need to start and start worshiping God, centering His idea for us and so as a church, I want us to pray. And this is what I want us to pray for. On Mondays, I'm going to ask us all to pray for our new home, our new land in the building, because that is a miracle. And when it happens, you will all know that God moved in our midst, right? So pray for it. Ask him for it. God will do a miracle. The second thing we need to do is we need to pray for our families, because our families are all of them disarray. There's brokenness everywhere. We need to start praying for our families. I ask you to pray that God would, would work in your home, pray for your family, pray for the church's families, and then pray for the community, the families in this community as well, that God would then rewrite, restructure, transform our families back into his design. And pray for our family ministry, that God would show us how do we build this, what is needed. On Wednesday, I want us all to be praying for our community, right? If we're called to serve in the community, we need to make sure that God is preparing it for us in advance. So pray for our businesses, our government, our schools, our hospitals. Pray for Safeway. There are three places in the community that, that are cross points for all different kinds of people, right? So you have the schools, which get a lot of people, but not everybody. You have the hospital that gets a lot of people, but not everybody. And then you have Safeway, which gets everybody. So pray. And before, we used to have James there, but he just retired on Friday. So now you have to be the light of Christ in Safeway. So pray for it. Pray for the people there. Pray for opportunities. Pray for our business owners that they have, that they're successful, that they can have establishment, they are able to bring in employees, that they can have witness and testimony to the other business owners in our community. Pray for that. Pray on Wednesday. How about Thursday. Thursday, I want us to pray for our five people to invite. In order for us to grow the way that we're supposed to, we need to bring five people per family, right? If you only bring two people per family, it's not like we'll kick you out, right? It's good. Do it your best, but make it our goal. Pray for five people, but don't just go invite people. Pray for them in advance. So ask God today, who are five people in this community that I could bring this year, right? And, and the thing is, is that if you don't pray for them, then it's all you. But if God's with you, he can move mountains. So I'm going to challenge you with some of those. Take the nastiest person you can think of in your neighborhood or your business. The person that needs Jesus the most. Pray for them. And look for opportunity to be able to invite them. And as a church, we're working on opportunities to give you natural in so you can invite them. 
right? Tools, invite cards, series that'll make it natural. But you begin praying for them every single Thursday. Pray for them by name, that they would be ready to receive the gospel, that they would be open for an invitation, that God would show you when to invite them and give you the words and the courage to do it. Pray for them. And then when the time comes, bring them. On Friday, pray for our church, right? Pray for this congregation, this fellowship, that we stay faithful, Pray for our time, our talent, our treasure worship, that we don't become a huddle of Pharisees. We want to be worshipers of God. So pray for us. Pray for the leaders that we stay faithful, not arrogant. As the church grows and does amazing things, that we wouldn't become prideful as a congregation, that we wouldn't become impatient as a congregation. Pray for us that we stay healthy and we're defended against the enemy, and he will attack. In fact, he spent all week, the devil was a little conniving little snake all week long, just like a withering, dripping thing. He was attacking our technology uh, like all week long. Like crazy things were happening. It was, it, was, it was bad. I will tell you this. You pray for our staff and our pastors because they'll need it. So don't just pray for me, right? Pray for Zach and for Margot. Pray for James. Pray for Keith and for Sarah. Pray for Stephen and, and for Garrett. They're going to be intensely attacked. So lift them up. Pray for them every Friday. Pray for us. And you know what? I have a tool for you. It's in your bulletin. You'll see this. It's the top five. You'll see the five things we're going to do. It's an explanation of what we're doing. But you'll notice right here, every day of the week, what I want you to pray for. So take that, put it somewhere where you're going to see it. In fact, even better, take each one of these each day and put it on your phone as a reminder to pray for this that day until it becomes a habit. Let's pray. Next thing we want to do after we pray, this one also has going to do with our, uh, our uh, time. We want to attend worship service five more times this year than last year, right? That's once more per quarter and then one other bonus. Out of every 12 weeks, can you come one more time this year than last year? Is that huge? It's mustard seed size. But being here is a testimony. It's a testimony to everybody else that's here, the importance of why we're here. It helps our faith last the long haul, but it's also a testimony to the rest of the world that what we have here is a value. So challenge yourself just five more times this year, five Sundays where you would have said, I would rather stay home, unless you're sick, stay home, right? But other than that, you're going to go on a hike, you're going to go up brunch, you're going to do something. Be here five times, make a little check mark on that. But my challenge is five more times this year. That will include, improve our participation ratio uh, from 75% to 80%. It's pretty amazing, small thing. Next thing that I would like you to do is uh, I want us all in this congregation, this is going to be a little different with our talents there, is I want you to serve five more hours this year. Hours in an entire year. It's less than a half hour a month. If you want to serve five hours, it just happens that's the exact same amount of time as our level one ministries that are there. And over three months, you'll serve five hours. So find one. If you're not serving, find one. You'll see why in just a minute. But just say, if you served five hours last year, to serve five more. Another thing that we would ask you to do in this time, is we want you to, uh, to bring five new guests to church this year, right? And that helps us to bring more people in, right? We want to reach this community. So just to reach them, you'll see how that works together. But, but make it your goal to bring five. The last thing that I'm going to ask you to do, and this is not very hard either, is just to give 5% more than you gave last year. Not 5% more of your income, just you can do that if you want to, but just 5% more than you get. So if you gave $100 last year, our challenge is give 105 if we do that, we'll be continue to meet our, our goals. As to where, and I want to show you the power of what this looks like when it all comes together. When we do all five of those things and it works together, we get this. So I'm gonna, that's, our attendance right here is going to grow from 150 to 400. On an average Sunday, we've got 150 people here. In seven years, we'll have 400 people on average attendance. We'll have 500 people in our congregation right, that are regular attenders, which is almost 10% of our community just by bringing five people and being here five more times an entire year. Next thing, when we have more people, what this does for us is our volunteer ministry hours grow from 400 a year to, to a little over 10,000. Understand that it takes about 400 volunteer hours a year to operate the church. Right? Any given Sunday, it takes about 20, 25 hours worth of volunteer stuff to do stuff on Sunday and then a few hours for like band practice and things on the outside, right? So right now, most of our volunteer hours are serving in the church. But if it only takes 400 hours to operate the church, if we have 10,000 volunteer hours that we're able to do as a church, where are they going to be spent? Outside the church. 
So we'll have the opportunity to, to, to clean the, the widow's uh, gutters out. We're going to have the time to be able to watch so-and-so's kids, right? We're going to have the time to be able to serve our community, 10,000 hours, and all it takes is to serve five more hours in a year. Can you do that? 10,000 hours is more than Crossroads gives to this community in free service. Can you do it? If we also, if we're just serving God, not just with our talents, but now we also are worshiping him with just 5% more each year of our giving, our offerings grow from $310,000, which was our current budget, to over a million dollars a year. But it's not just that. This is, it's not just that we're bringing more in. It's how we would be spending it. You see, that green line there, that's going to be what we call our operational ministry budget. That's how much we spend per person you add it up, uh, for the congregation. So right now, we spend $310,000 operational ministry. We bring in $310,000, $310,000 goes out into our regular ministries. We don't want to cut that back. We want God to expand our ministries. So as we grow, we get more people, we want to continue to spend the same amount. We spend about $1,400 a year per person in ministry in our church. So we want to keep that number the same and increase it a little bit for inflation. But if we do that, our operational ministry is not going to go up as fast as our overall offerings. So I'm going to flip those upside down so we could take away our operational budget, right? And so all donations above our operational budget, right, they go into what's called our building our charitable ministry fund. Over seven years, if we add up those savings, we will have, right now we have $50,000 saved for a building. In seven years, we'll have $1.3 million saved for a building. That plus our million dollars that we're sitting in right now, it's enough to buy a building in Estes Park with cash. Think about that. But the part that gets me excited is, unlike a building fund, which ends once you have a building and all of a sudden you have all these needs, you see that little green portion at the top there? That last year's operational building? Like, that's the extra? Well, that doesn't go away. And so every year, we don't continue, we don't spend just on the congregation our operational spending, uh, right? We, we keep it. We don't, we're not saving for a building anymore. What will we be saving for? Ministry. The very first year we're in Estes, Almost $365,000 for charitable service in the community. What would $365,000 do for Estes Park? Do you think that would help us with child care? Think it would help with some elder care? Do you think that would give us the opportunity to help some families that are truly need $365,000 in our little community? Heck yeah! That'd do some great stuff. In fact, $365,000 is more than this year's operational budget. In seven years, we will be giving charity in our community more than our operational budget today. That's transformational. And the cool thing is that will continue to grow. I didn't show this to you, but I mapped it out for 10 years. In 10 years, we will be giving more in charity to the community than we spend on ourselves in our own ministry. Isn't that cool? And what does it take? 5% more than you gave last year. And if you didn't give anything last year, let me challenge you. This is a great year to start. So, it takes five simple commitments. That's all it is. Not just a mustard seed of faith, but a mustard seed of faithfulness. These aren't big things. I'm not asking you to do the moon. But I'm saying together, if we all do these things, you see where it takes us. God's brewing us. He's doing something amazing in us. But we all need to do our part. So pray five days a week. Attend five more times this year. Serve five more hours than you did last year. Bring five new guests of the course of a year and give 5% more. Can we do this? So what I want to do as we end this time is I want you to take your connection card out because I want to know if you're with me. I don't want to push a rope. Pastors don't want to do that. It's a great plan. It's a great call. But if it's not something you say I'm going to be part of and everybody's not a part of it, then I'll just be miserable. So let me know now. Do you want to take a step of faithfulness? Are you going to go with us? And you say, we're going to do this. We're going to be generational transformational disciples. On the back of your connection card, what I'd like to know is, is this something you can join us in? And so let me know. Of these five, I have them there. Will you pray with us five days a week? Let me know that. Will you attend five more Sundays? Now, if you're here every week, you know, you don't have to say, well, attend five more. <laughs> but I would say, you know, just will you do this? Will you serve five hours? And if you're not serving, will you get involved in a, in a Say Yes ministry one of the quarters, either it's summer or fall or spring or winter? Would you serve five hours, let us equip you and help us start serving? Will you invite five people? Bring five people. Will you give 5% more than you gave last year? Can you do that? 
In a second, we're going to take our offering as we do. I encourage you, take these commitments, along with your prayer requests, because I do pray for you. It is helpful. Take these and drop them in the offering basket as it's passed, along with your tithes and your gifts. But I say even more than that. Let's dedicate ourselves. Let's be like Abraham. We didn't have to take, we didn't have to walk to the promised land in one giant leap, but we do have to take steps. So commit ourselves together. Let's take these steps and let's see what God does. Please let me pray for you as uh, you make your commitments and then as the offering baskets are passed, we'll have the worship team come and close us with some good worship. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your vision that you've given us, something bigger than ourselves, actually terrifyingly bigger than ourselves. When I look at it, I get goosebumps because it's so cool. It'd be amazing to reach and to serve our community in this way. But Father, I also recognize that unless you move, it's not going to happen. So Lord, we invite you to move. Take our mustard seed of faithfulness and bless it today. Father, help us to say to these mountains, these mountains move. Father, change us as you change this world that we live in for your glory. Father, I pray for the commitments that are made. Help us to all lock arms on this, to be a fellowship that's committed to you and to this call. Help me and the pastors and the elders and the finance team and all of the leaders in this church to walk close to you in this, not to deviate. So we dedicate this ourselves to you and your call and your vision. Father, we pray for our tithes and our offerings and all those things that we bring to you today. Accept them as acts of our worship, centering our life on you with our time, our talent, our treasure. Would you use it to build your kingdom? We pray all of this in the wonderful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.